I'm Bridget Stomberg. And I'm Lisa Simone, And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on bias in the IRS audit process. On his first day in office, President Biden signed an executive order charging the federal government with advancing equity for all and addressing systemic racism in the nation's policies and programs. He has also directed all federal agencies to identify and eliminate bias in the use of technology and to protect the public from, quote, algorithmic discrimination. In today's episode, we welcome Evelyn Smith, researcher at the University of Michigan, to discuss her research on racial bias in the IRS's audit selection models. Hello, B. Hello, Lisa. We recently released our 50th episode uh, in June of 2023. And one of the very cool things about having done now over 50 episodes is that some themes are starting to emerge. And that gives us some opportunity for even doing multiple episodes on particular topics that we're passionate about. Yep. And today is another one of those opportunities. So I'm excited. Um, as is often the case, you are 100% correct. Mm. And one of the themes that we've talked about on multiple episodes is this intersection of taxes and equity. Yes. We've touched on racial equity, um, or I guess you could actually say racial inequity as is more often the case, sadly, when it comes to the US tax code. We've also talked a little bit about gender inequity and inequity with respect to socioeconomic status. And of course, there's been a renewed focus on equity in society as a result of work by some economists like Thomas Piketty, whose name I can never actually say correctly. Um, recent events have added to this, the horrendous murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, Me Too, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. However, and I cannot emphasize this enough, it is worth pointing out that the recent focus on equity that we have when it comes to taxes is not some newfangled trend. No, it's not. And also it's not a trend of like a certain segment of the population. Yes. Right. Equity is a desirable feature of tax policies. Yes. At least in this millennium, right? But it, I think it goes back to before or even 2000. That's, that's the yes. whole point. Like this has been a desirable feature that has been talked about for more than a generation. Um, so sorry, you just reminded me that we're in a new millennium. I tend to forget that every once in a while. <laughs> yes. So yes, what I meant to say was 1900s, 2000s. So for example, the AICPA, which is the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, they have long indicated that equity or what we might think about it as fairness mm-hmm. is a desirable attribute for a tax system to have. And the reason why is because it helps improve compliance and yes. trust and faith in the tax system. And why is compliance and trust and faith in the tax system important? Because if you can't collect taxes, you can't run your government. Right, the whole system falls apart if people just lose faith in the system and stop complying, and they might be more willing to do that if they think the whole system is unfair and rigged against them, Yes, so to speak. Yes. So this is an important reminder that we're not just taking up the mantle of equity when it comes to tax policies because it's some woke trend. Today, we're going to focus on racial equity issues, particularly with regard to IRS enforcement. And I'm pretty excited about that because that's not an aspect of taxes and equity that I think we've tackled before. Agreed. So we have the privilege of having a special guest joining us to talk about her work that finds that black taxpayers are audited at about three to five times the rate 
of non-black taxpayers. So I want to say that just one more time, three to five times the rate of non-black taxpayers. That's a lot more. It is startling. Yes. So we know from IRS data that the average taxpayer, just pulling everybody together, not thinking about race, mm-hmm. is audited at a rate of about half a percent. Okay. So what does that mean? That means about 50 out of every 10,000 taxpayers are going to get audited at any given point in time. Okay. But for black taxpayers, Evelyn and her colleagues estimate an audit rate of about 0.8 to 1.3 percentage points higher. So if we take the high end of that range, that mm-hmm. suggests that about 188 out of every 10,000 black taxpayers are audited. That's a lot more than 54. Uh, last time I checked, and I'm not good at math, people. So if I can see that this is different, it's different. And that disparity exists across the income distribution when looking at taxpayers reporting less than $200,000 of income. But perhaps what is most concerning is that the disparity is actually greatest at the very lowest, lowest of the low levels of the income distribution. So non-Black taxpayers making around $20,000 have an audit rate of about 1%, whereas Black taxpayers reporting the same amount of income have an audit rate of over 3.5%. In fact, Evelyn and her co-authors estimate the largest racial disparity in audit rates for taxpayers with incomes low enough to potentially qualify for the earned income tax credit, one of those things we've talked about on a prior episode. So if you'll recall from our episode on the earned income tax credit, it was initially designed in the 1970s as a quote, work bonus plan. So the idea Mm, was to mm -hmm. incentivize lower income individuals to actually work. And so this credit was developed and it allows taxpayers to offset not only their income taxes, but also their employment taxes. And of course you're only gonna have employment taxes if you are working either for an employer or for yourself. So when the authors drill down deeper into the data, unfortunately the story doesn't get happier. No. It gets more grim. So for example, among black male taxpayers claiming this earned income tax credit with children or other dependents, the audit rate is almost 8%. That is staggering. That is staggering compared to the 1% of non-black taxpayers making around $20,000. It's also staggering compared to the average audit rate of the highest 1% of taxpayers by income, which is about 1.5%. So yeah. I'm throwing up in my mouth a little bit. I sure am. So just one more time, because I know we're throwing out a lot of numbers here. So if we look at the highest 1% of taxpayers by income, the ones that we have evidence to suggest are avoiding the most income tax. Yes. They're getting audited at a rate of 1.56%. A low income black man with children or other dependents claiming the earned income tax credit is getting audited at a rate of 7.73%. It's not a good look for the IRS. It's not. Now, for all of our listeners out there who might be thinking that we're barking up the wrong tree here, you could argue that the higher audit rate of black earned income tax credit recipients is justified because they might be more likely to have the largest amount of underreported taxes. Okay. Studies authors consider that. They examine that explanation. And what they do is they group taxpayers into 11 bins based on the level of their underreporting. So the first bin essentially includes all taxpayers that have no underreporting, essentially underreporting less than a dollar. Then the other 10 bins capture deciles of positive amounts of underreporting. Okay. The largest share of black taxpayers fall into that first bucket, that bucket where there's underreporting of less than a dollar. Okay. So they, they are not a problem. 
No, over 45% of black taxpayers who claim the earned income tax credit and are audited are not actually found to have underreported their tax or overclaimed the credit. Okay. That compares to just about 35% for non-black taxpayers. So nice try, Oof. but that's not what's going on. No, it's not. So I think we can pretty safely cross that one off the list. Yes. So then I guess somebody could say, okay, fine. They get audited at a higher rate, but that's not really harmful because if they're not actually underreporting, then what's the big deal of getting audited if it turns out that you don't owe any additional tax? Okay, this is a good question. So first, let's emphasize that most audits of earned income tax credit recipients are what, what are called correspondence audits. They happen through the mail. Researchers estimate that roughly 75% of these earned income tax credit correspondence audits have their benefits disallowed because either the correspondence wasn't delivered or the taxpayer just didn't respond. In either of these cases, the entire amount of the credit gets disallowed. Yep. And so that means that only a relatively small share of these credit correspondence audits confirm that the taxpayer was actually ineligible for the credit that they had claimed. And instead, in the vast majority of cases, the benefits disallowed without any verification of eligibility. And that's just so terrible. Like, imagine getting a benefit taken away from you because you didn't get your mail. Yeah. It's not great. It's not great. That same study that you were referencing also estimates that in the year after a correspondence audit of the earned income tax credit, about 30 to 50% of the taxpayers who might actually be eligible for the credit don't even try to claim the benefits. So for every dollar of benefits that audited taxpayers are possibly eligible for, almost half of it, 45 cents, goes unclaimed. So a clear harm here of being audited, even if you don't owe any additional tax, is that you are actually less likely to even try to claim the benefits that you are potentially entitled to mm. in the future. And I also imagine, based on personal experience of family and friends who come out of the woodworks whenever they receive a correspondence audit, yep. um, there may be a little bit of emotional stress of receiving yep. that correspondence and not to mention financial stress potentially of even if you can't afford help to assist with your audit defense, you might be missing work to put everything together to try to defend the audit. And frequent audits that don't detect tax fraud can reduce trust in authorities by perfectly honest taxpayers. And that's problematic mm -hmm. because black Americans have historically expressed less trust in government than white Americans. So we are making an existing problem worse. Absolutely. And everything that we just talked about, about what's the harm of auditing people when no money comes of it, what we've talked about so far is just the harm coming from the taxpayer side of things. There's also harm from the government side of things because if we spend resources to audit someone and don't actually collect any tax, then we have essentially just wasted resources targeting the wrong taxpayers. I'm not optimistic, but I'm sure hopeful Evelyn has something uh, more positive to say. Our guest today is Evelyn Smith. Evelyn is a current PhD candidate at the University of Michigan, as well as a fellow at the Stanford Reg Lab. Evelyn's here to talk to us about her paper called Measuring and Mitigating Racial Disparities in Tax Audits, co-authored with many individuals from Stanford, University of Chicago, and the U.S. Department of Treasury. Evelyn, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Evelyn, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So your paper studies the difference in IRS audit rates between black and non-black taxpayers, which is 
a super important question, something that we are very interested in uh, on this podcast. What motivated you to address this research question? So there's a longstanding body of research from scholars such as Dorothy Brown and Beverly Moran looking at, you know, structural inequity in our tax system. Uh, Dorothy Brown has this book, Mm -hmm. The Whiteness of Wealth, which is, I think, a really essential read. And a lot of this work has focused on things like tax expenditures, the home mortgage interest deduction, for Mm -hmm. example, and how those expenditures are sort of distributed across different types of households. Um, and it's it's really important, essential work. And what this project does, what this paper does, is sort of shifts that focus over to tax enforcement and looks at you know a different aspect of our tax system and tries to figure out, you know, what are these differences in audit rates uh, between black and not black black households. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to that, you know, the Biden administration has been really interested in applications of artificial intelligence and government on his first day in office, uh, mm-hmm. Joe Biden released this executive order 13985, which, you know, directs federal agencies, including the IRS, uh, to examine applications of AI uh, in their work and see if, you know, those applications are either creating, creating or worsening disparities, um, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the federal government. And so this is just one area where we might be concerned that whatever algorithms are in use uh, in tax enforcement, uh, you know, might be creating or worsening disparities. So it's sort of those two streams of motivation that really drive the work. Yeah, and that's incredibly timely um, to to be looking into this. Did you did you expect going into it? Did you expect to find a difference? So there's been some preliminary work that's you know been out there for several years, looking at you know aggregate measures of disparity in uh-huh. tax enforcement. Right. You know, you can look at, say, the audit rates in different counties and the Mm -hmm. share of individuals in those counties who are black. And so we have, you know, some preliminary evidence along those lines that seem to suggest that, you know, if we were to look into this more deeply, we would probably find disparities. And so, you know, that concern has been out there for a long time. Um, But, you know, the product that we were undertaking here is to try to get as precise estimates Mm -hmm. as possible of, you know, what these disparities might look like and what's causing them. Sure. So that's a perfect segue. And you referenced some work that's been done looking at zip codes and then looking at some demographic data within that zip code. You're looking at the actual tax return or household level. And for anyone who's ever filled out a tax return, we know that we're not required or even allowed the option to disclose our race um, on our tax return. And so can you explain at a high level um, how you and your co-authors determined which tax returns were most likely to be filed um, by black taxpayers? Yeah, so that's a great question, uh, Bridget. As you point out, there's no line that asks you to self-report your race in the Form 1040. And so what we do is we basically impute or estimate taxpayers' race using a combination of their first names, their last names, and you know their fine-grained geographic location. And mm-hmm. so you can sort of get conditional probabilities uh, that someone would self-report as black based on those three things. And you can combine that information into you know a single estimate or imputation of the taxpayer's race. And then you can further use those estimates um, to come up with estimates of the audit rates for different groups of taxpayers. And so you know we go into into detail in the paper in terms of how we do this, but at a, at a very high level, um, you know we're just trying to get an educated guess as to how someone might self-report given the opportunity. And if I recall, you were able to sort of verify or validate your approach using some voter data from North Carolina. Is that correct? 
Yes, yeah. So in North Carolina, up until 1993, uh, voters, when they registered to vote, were required by law to self-report their race. Uh, and after that point in time, it became optional. Hmm. And so, you know, all of these voter registration records are publicly available. You can see people's, you know, their names, their census block group, and their self-reported race. And what we were able to do is sort of match that in on an isolated server, right? This is not data that was ever, you know, brought into the IRS environment or using tax enforcement, for example, but mm-hmm. we're able to sort of match it uh, to tax return data and get a sense of, you know, how accurate we are, what sort of populations, um, you know, we're more or less accurate in and, you know, validate to the extent that we can that these imputations are way off the mark. And that seems super important um, because, you know, the past methods of identifying race, ethnicity or cultural traits based on names and zip codes has come under scrutiny. So there was this uh, op-ed in The Wall Street Journal um, that estimated that a government agency applying that technique was only 54 percent accurate. The downside of, you know, being super critical is that this is this is kind of the best we have, right? Because mm-hmm. that information isn't there on the tax return, as you said. Um, so I, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on sort of this debate, given that this is a space that you're you're researching in actively? Yeah. So I think, you know, you raise a really important point. And obviously, you know, it would be great if we could just estimate these disparities directly with self-reported race. I think that would be the ideal scenario. Uh But another way we sort of get around this is through the empirical approach, right? We understand that there's going to be errors in the estimates that we have. And so any further estimates that we construct with these imputations are themselves going to be biased in some way. And so what we do is we have, you know, two different ways that we estimate the disparity. And the hope is that they're wrong in different directions. Mm -hmm. And so the output is, you know, a range of values where the truth is going to lie. And we're able to sort of sign the bias uh, on those estimates using this auxiliary North Carolina data. Uh, so with you know a pretty high degree of confidence, you know we don't know the exact number, but we know it's somewhere between you know three and five times as likely, right? Mm-hmm. Is our is our estimate of the disparity between black and non-black taxpayers? And I should I should clarify too that um, through that validation process that you've been talking about, you find that you're far more accurate than fifty four percent. So your methods are a, a big step in the right direction towards um, improving this imputation that we need to do to identify uh, race with taxpayer. Yes. So you just mentioned that you do find that black taxpayers are audited at about like you said between three and five times um, the rate of non black taxpayers. So that's sort of the headline finding. And then you dug into that a little bit deeper. So can you talk a little bit about what you found as the source or sources of this disparity? Yeah, so, you know, you look at the overall population and we find um, this this broader disparity. You can drill down, for example, into subpopulations of taxpayers. And one of the things that we find is that the vast majority of this disparity is concentrated within the population of taxpayers that are claiming the earned income tax credit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that EITC claimants are audited very heavily. Mm -hmm. I think an idea we had going into this work is that, you know, there are differences in the demographics of people who claim EITC versus not, and that credit is audited very heavily. And Mm -hmm. so it's the combination of those two things that's driving the results that we see, but it's actually, that's not the case. It's the fact that Black EITC claimants are much more likely to be audited mm. than non-Black EITC claimants. Yep. Um, so it's it's concentrated in that population. It's concentrated among low-income taxpayers, and uh, you know we're still doing work to sort of 
iron out uh, exactly what the mechanisms are. But, you know, on a preliminary basis, what we know is that these disparities seem to be driven by the types of issues that IRS has historically focused on in its audits. Okay. Right. So for EITC claimants, uh, one of the issues is, you know, the amount of the credit that you get really depends on the number of dependents that you claim on your return. And so, the IRS has a lot of data on dependent eligibility. They focus a lot of their audit attention on whether or not dependents are eligible, right? And it's the case that you know black taxpayers tend to get caught up in that relative to non-black taxpayers. Hmm. Um, I think an important thing to point out is that it's not the case that black taxpayers are evading more in terms of dollar right. amounts. Yes, control for the dollar amount of non-compliance, and mm-hmm. still black taxpayers are more likely to be audited. And so it's this this focus on sort of small dollar, high certainty issues with yeah, you know, this refundable credit in particular that we we think seems to contribute in large part to the disparities that we're observing. Just a note for our listeners, we did an episode on the earned income tax credit, but for Mm -hmm. anybody who hasn't listened to that episode, this is not an easy credit to know if you're eligible for, right? I think we went through and there were like 11 or 14 boxes that you have to check to be eligible. So it's not like this is something that is simple. And um, so if you're a taxpayer trying to figure it out on your own, there's a high probability that you might get it wrong, even if you're not intentionally trying to do something wrong. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, the family structure plays into this. As soon as you move away mm-hmm. from the situation where you have, you know, a married couple and the kids yep. live at home. Right. Right. It becomes very complex very quickly. There are, you know, really complicated dependent eligibility rules for this mm-hmm. credit uh, that I think are really hard to figure out as a taxpayer if you don't have the assistance mm-hmm. of a tax preparer. And a lot of people claiming EITC can't afford to go to, you know, H&R Block or somewhere and have someone right. else prepare their return. And, and that's a criticism of the credit, regardless of the race of the taxpayer who's trying right. to qualify for the credit. Yes. But it's an important point about intent, right? It's the intent of the taxpayer that we're not calling into question here. And I think a similar point is that we're not trying to call into question the intent of the IRS because as we said, they cannot observe race from the tax return alone. They would have to go into the audit and actually meet with somebody, right, in order to determine race or ethnicity. But nonetheless, you identify some potential opportunities for potential policy adjustments to try to alleviate this disparity, which I think we can all three of us agree is just horrifying. Um, So talk a little bit about uh, some of the proposals that you have. So one of the things that we do in the paper is we sort of test out, you know, preliminary counterfactual algorithms that IRS might adopt um, and examine, you know, what types of algorithmic design choices might lead to more or less disparity. And one of the things that we find is that focusing on the total dollar amount of noncompliance mm-hmm. rather than, you know, whether or not someone is, you know, evading more than say $100 or whether or not there's a specific issue with a refundable credit. Mm -hmm. If you shift that focus to the entire scope of the return, uh, you know, we have preliminary evidence. It seems to suggest that we would both get more revenue Mm -hmm. uh, and also the disparity uh, would, you know, decrease in absolute terms um, and actually shift in the direction uh, in some cases of auditing non-Black taxpayers at a higher rate than Black taxpayers. But, you know, in general, the disparity would go down I think there are broader structural changes that we could make to the tax code, you know, making EITC easier to claim. Yes. Uh, You know, the IRS just got a ton of funding. Um, I think one of the issues here is that they've had the funding has stagnated for the past decade. 
skilled auditors who are able to look at more complex higher income returns right just retire and they're not able to replace them and so you know with this excess capacity now that irs has to hire higher skilled auditors we can shift attention away from you know eitc which in 2017 that was 40% of the audits that irs did were of eitc claimants mm. Um, you know, we can shift attention away from that space towards more higher income complex mm -hmm. returns. And I think that also will probably help um, alleviate some of these disparities that we see. You're speaking our language, Evelyn. We love yeah. it. <laughs> so what you said is really great. And you're bringing it back to what you talked about as your motivation. You've got the equity piece. You've got President Biden's call for mm -hmm. understanding if any bias in an AI algorithm is, you know, either creating or exacerbating a disparity. So if I can summarize what you just said, if you train the model on whether there was a deficiency that could be contributing to this racial disparity, whereas if you moved and you trained the model on the size, the potential size of the um, underreporting, that might actually reduce the disparity. So this is a classic case where what you ask the model to do could introduce bias into the, into the system. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And Sorry to interject here, but it, does it not, it strikes me as a little obvious that like maybe we should be focusing on the total amount of underreporting, right? Like if we're, if we're trying to uh, maximize or optimize our, our use of IRS resources, it seems like maybe we should go after the bigger fish, but I don't know, maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. You, you do this a lot. You want logic. And I know. It's really. It's annoying. You got, you got to stop. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share that we did not touch on? I do want to be clear that it's not like there's any one algorithm at play here that's mm -hmm. a smoking gun. You know, it's a combination of legacy systems, mm -hmm. some algorithms that were designed either by consultants or IRS itself. Okay. Uh, you know, it's like it's a it's a mix of many different decision making process that together come and create these disparities. And mm -hmm. so I think. You know, one thing I do want to clarify, because it has, I think there's a New York Times story on this that sort of described, you know, there's like this one smoking gun algorithm that's, mm. that's causing all these problems. And that's not exactly what's going on. Uh, but, you know, all the same, I think in any decision making process, you have to be very, very careful in terms of how you design those systems. It's not unique to artificial intelligence, right? These are problems that exist regardless of, of how you're making those decisions and allocating those resources. And so I think you know, that's that's an important aspect of the work. But yeah, we're we're continuing to work in this paper. We're trying to get a finer, finer grain sense of of the mechanisms here. And, uh, you know, I hope you'll keep your eyes peeled for updates um, in the coming months. That's awesome. Evelyn, thank you so much. This has been great. We thank really you for having me. It. Yeah, this was a wonderful discussion. I really appreciate it. So time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I think I'm happy that for the past several episodes, I've kind of kicked it off with something good. Okay. Because I'm not going to do that today. So I'm <laughs> just gonna. Okay, well, this one's easy. I'm thrilled that there are people who are working on this. Okay. It's a sensitive topic, but it's an incredibly important topic. We have some of the brightest economists on the planet addressing the issue. The, even the fact that they 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 find motivation to engage in this type of work, I think is reason to be very happy. Okay, that was well done. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, the bad kind of speaks for itself. 
it's hard because nobody here is saying that the IRS is a bunch of racists who are targeting black taxpayers. I'm sure that a Republican at some point in the future will say I that said, the IRS is a bunch of racists. I said nobody here. Okay. All right. Thank nobody you. Nobody within this circle of individuals, you, me, and Evelyn is trying to claim okay. that. In fact, we're saying the exact opposite, that it's a systemic yes. issue. If you decide to target uh, as, as your audit issue, do all of these dependents qualify under the earned income tax credit, you're going to end up having that disparate impact. It goes back all the way to our episode on taxes and inequities in the tax system. We're not saying it's on purpose. It's right. it's not intentional, but there is a disparate impact. And so we have to, we have to try to think creatively about a way to mitigate this disparate impact because it is, it is horrifying. And I, I'm pretty, I don't know if she says this explicitly, but it's something I took away from Dorothy Brown's book, The Whiteness of Wealth. Mm -hmm. We don't have to be saying, and we're not saying that Congress is racist and exactly. that everybody intentionally, deliberately set out to create exactly. these policies and these enforcement processes that disadvantage groups. That's not what we're saying. But if you are not being sensitive yes. and attuned to the potential harm that you're policy, which you thought had a very neutral intent. Mm -hmm. If you're not paying attention to the impact of that policy, then you, then you're complicit. And so yes. again, like if we can just take some of the charge language out of it, we're not accusing anybody of being a racist. The policy was a good one, right? We're trying to get money into the pockets of lower income people. Yes. We're trying to encourage them to get and be part of the workforce. We talked in that episode about both financial and non-financial benefits yes. of being part of the workforce. There's nothing wrong with this policy on its face, mm -hmm. but you have to take a step back and make sure that in the application of it, in the enforcement of it, you're not creating issues. And I think what Evelyn's paper is highlighting is that maybe that has happened. Yeah. And so now we just need to take a step back. Nobody needs, we're not blaming anybody. Nobody needs to feel guilty. We just need mm -hmm. to solve the problem and move on. Yes. And I love their recommendation for solving the problem because it just seems like that's where we should have started is by targeting those that we think are underpaying by the most. Right. I, I'm, I'm chalking this up to another bad that it's, it's a little mind blowing to me that that's not where we started. Instead, we, we decided, well, we can define what a, um, qualified dependent is. And so let's just, you know, that's easy and it's bite-sized and, and we, we understand what that is. So let's do that as opposed to, we don't know what the issues are going to be if we go for those that have the highest amount of underreporting, but let's go after the highest amount of underreporting. Life is hard, right? Sometimes it's just, we have to do hard things. 100%. And I think I'm actually going to recharacterize that as the ugly here, right? Oh, I got is, another ugly. Okay. Well, let, I'm going to recharacterize that as my ugly because you are 100% right. We had a choice yes. to do something that was tough and get a lot of money from it or do something that was easy and get a little teeny tiny bitty mo of money from it and take mm -hmm. it from the people who need it the most. Like the fact, take, let's take race out of it for a second. The fact that we, that 40% of audits where people making like $20,000, yeah. what are we doing? What are we, what are we doing? doing? Just leave them alone. Yes. What is your second ugly? My second ugly is that it's that criticism that's been levied at people who are trying to do this type of work, who are mm -hmm. trying to impute, infer what race is from information that we have because we don't have that on the tax return. And so to even understand if there's a disparate impact, we need to try to, 
estimate, guess somebody's race. And I get that the methods of doing that might not yield high accuracy, but that doesn't mean we should stop working on it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that was the takeaway from that op-ed from the Wall Street Journal in 2021 was, well, this is just a, a racial guessing game. It's almost like flipping a coin. We shouldn't even try. I don't think that's the answer. I think we need to be as, you know, obviously as academics, we need to be very critical of the methods that people are applying. We need to do what we can to validate them. And that's exactly where Evelyn's done such a great job with her Mm -hmm. co-authors is trying to carefully validate that they're getting this right. But even if we have, you know, a 4%, I don't, I don't know what their paper says. Let's just say 10% error rate that's still pretty good. I don't think we should throw the entire process out because these are important questions and we need to try to address them as opposed to just throwing up our hands and saying, oh no, this is hard and walking away. I totally agree. And I think when you, we talk a lot in academic research about triangulation, right? Yes. No one study is perfect, but if you can have a couple different studies or a couple different research papers coming to similar conclusions, you start to build a circumstance. I'm gonna say it's more than circumstantial. You start to put more weight on the side of maybe there is a problem here. And so I was happy to hear her reference the work that had been done before that did something very similar, looking at audits by zip code and showing that there was a disproportional amount of audits in zip codes that have lower income Mm -hmm. and tend to be disproportionately Uh, have disproportionately high numbers of black residents. And so now we have two totally separate Mm -hmm. data points that are all pointing to the same conclusion, which is that there is potentially bias in the system, in the audit uh, detection models or audit and, you know, the enforcement models. And and let's at least address it. And I want to say one more thing. Again, let's just take race out of it. Mm -hmm. There's a socioeconomic bias here that is indisputable. Yes. So even if you want to just say that the race estimation is complete garbage, which neither you or I believe that it is like, correct. Even if you want to do that, there's still bias in the system. And it's something that we could address and we could benefit everybody. Let's benefit both the black and the non-black low income taxpayers who are being disproportionately targeted by the IRS. Everybody wins. If we all just pay a little more attention to this. Love that. Well, that's all we have time for today. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses.